Welcome to Unleash Your Retirement with David Corin from RVA Wealth Management. Our podcast is all about providing anyone considering retirement with the confidence they need to pursue their dreams in this new phase of life. We cover a wide range of topics, from retirement planning to investing with purpose, all while making you laugh and keeping things lighthearted. With David's years of experience and guest industry leaders to help guide us, you'll walk away feeling informed, empowered, and ready to take on your future with confidence. So sit back, relax, and get ready to join us on this journey to a new life. Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Retirement with your host, David Corin. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, David. Hello, Wendy. How are you? I'm good. I see we have our friend Mike back once again. Yes, Mike is back um, to join us again today and probably the next session, too, because, you know, investments are a big deal. There's a, it's, it's actually a very complicated topic. I mean, Mike's background, he used to be on the stock exchange floor at the Boston Stock Exchange. He's worked for Scott and Stringfellow for Davenport here locally uh, as an equity desk trader. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, we've been working together now for eight years. So, and he picks the stocks. So he does the research. That's, that's what he loves to do. Uh, he's not exactly real fond of being a public speaker like he's doing today, <laughs> but he will do it. If I, if I ask him and twist his arm, he will come in and join me. So he's here again today with us. How are you feeling, Mike? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you, Wendy. Oh, well, we're happy to have you here. Now, I have a question about the stock exchange. Is it exactly like I picture it from the movies where, you know, you're all on the floor, you're writing down things on notes and throwing them and yelling and screaming? Is that please tell me that's how it is. When I started over there, that's how it was to some degree. Uh, it was a lot of fun because there was a lot of chaos and yeah. uh, it was uh, paper back then. Unfortunately, now I hate to tell you now it's gone all electronic. So it's not nearly as fun as it used to be. (laughs) So I have to watch the movies in order to get that experience. Yeah, we had some real characters back then. It was uh, it was a great education. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, we look forward to you joining us in the future. Uh, And so I think we continue our journey, by the way, on uh, investments personal finance on steroids program here that we're going through. So uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, and, you know, we talked in the last uh, session about the, just, you know, the two types of investments, you know, you can loan money or you can have ownership, which would be the stock market in particular. I think, you know, one of the things that we're, we're actually going to talk about the fixed side, the, the, the loaning side of the equation first, because believe it or not, the bond market dwarfs, and I mean dwarfs the stock market. It's much, 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 much larger. Um, that's why you hear all these references to an inverted yield curve and things like that. It all has to do with bonds. So the bond market has um, successfully um, predicted through the inversion of the yield curve all of our recessions historically. So we have been living, by the way, for some time in an inverted yield curve environment. I don't know if we'll get into all the complexities of what that means, but essentially the bottom line is the shorter dated bonds now pay higher interest than longer dated bonds, which is upside down. That's not how it should be. And it is actually one of the reasons that a lot of the banks have been having trouble uh, because they hold a lot of long dated bonds and that value has dropped a whole lot. So that's caused a, a real liquidity issue for many of the banks. Uh, I know I went beyond, you know, jump through that, um, jump forward, in a big way, 
But let's start by talking, we'll, we'll run through the different types of fixed or loan investments, uh, and we'll start with some of the simplest, right, Mike? Yes. As you mentioned on, on the last podcast, your first investment is typically your savings account at the bank where you get a low interest, but it's safe. You can pull the money out at any time. Um, and then you go on to CDs at the bank where you agree to lock your money up for a certain amount of time, anywhere from 30 days to 10 years, where you can't pull that money out without a penalty until the term is up, but you'll get a, a fixed rate. It's uh, become a pretty decent rate of return. And um, those are uh, typically insured by FDIC insurance uh, up to $250,000, which is important. Uh, and then you jump from there to money market accounts. So these are some of the safest. And money market accounts are essentially, they're not insured, by the way, by the FDIC, but they're, they're invested in short duration treasuries and really short investments of a highly secure type. That tends to be what you see the money market's investing in. And you can get a little bit better rate of return than the savings account. Typically at the bank, it's probably going to be similar to uh, what your CD rates are going to be in the money market. But the difference is, is that the money market, you're not locking your money up. Uh, you can get that money out at any time, is, whereas the CD, you have to leave it. Otherwise, you lose some of the interest that you would have earned on it. And money markets, the the interest is variable too. It's It's currently paying a pretty attractive rate, but that rate does vary on like a CD. Yeah. So if interest rates start to drop, the money market payments, you know, what you receive from the money market is going to go down as interest rates go down. Of course, interest rates have been going up for some time now as the Fed has been fighting uh, our inflationary uh, situation that we've got. And so far, they've been successful at avoiding a recession. Um, but generally speaking, when you're in a tightening cycle like we're seeing, that leads to a recession. So I keep saying that because I'm trying to prep people for the aware, to be aware that all indicators are saying that at some point in the future, we are going to get a recession. Now, it may not, it may be relatively mild, but it could be bad. We just don't know at this point in time. But it does, based on what the bond markets and what the Fed is telling us and what history is showing us, uh, that's sort of where we're headed right now uh, based on these numbers. However, the, the uh, economy does not reflect that because we still have a tight job market at the moment. Uh, and usually you don't, you're not going to see or, or even have a recession declared until we've got a very soft job market where people can't find a job. Right now, you know, companies can't find employees. It's the other way around. So, Mike, you want to talk a little bit about bonds further uh, in terms of, you know, people, you know, a lot of people, the only way they've ever been uh, exposed to bonds has been by, you know, a mutual fund that they have in their 401k. But they don't really understand what, so what is that buying inside of that? And, so, you know, what's the yield? What's the coupon? What's the maturity data? What's the term of the bond? Many people don't understand uh, exactly how that that those bonds work. Uh, and when you use a, a mutual fund, you're having professionals buy those bonds for you underneath. And they're doing all this manipulation and, and identifying the bonds, et cetera. But you're, you are very susceptible to an interest rate movement when you have a bond fund. Whereas if you buy an individual bond, it's a different animal and you can control sort of that risk a little bit. So we talk about bond ladders. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk risk mitigation. But but bonds can be very attractive when you buy them individually, but you need to understand how they operate. So Mike, you want to 
talk a little bit about, you know, what's the face value? What is that kind of stuff that the language that we talk about, talk about bonds? We're going to start first with bonds, individual bonds, and we'll get to the bond mutual funds later. They have very different characteristics, but a bond basically is an IOU sold by uh, a government or a company in order to raise money. In return for you lending the money, you are promised a return of your principal and you will get periodic interest payments. Typically, you'll be paid twice a year on on that interest. Uh, So bonds, the primary job is to generate income for investors. There's a different way that they can promise to return your principal. They can either back it by collateral, like a factory, uh, they'll put that up for line. But typically, it's just the promise, the full faith that the corporation will pay you back with nothing physically backing up is how they typically issue these bonds. The face value, also referred to as PAR, is the amount of um, the bond is initially sold for and will return if you hold the bond to maturity. So you have to low, when is this bond going to mature? And then you'll have a a pretty good indication how much you're going to get back at that maturity date. Unless you try to sell it in between, you're pretty much guaranteed for most of these bonds, you're going to get your principal back and collect your interest as you wait. Yeah, do bonds always sell at their face value or, or do they sell at a discount or a premium sometimes, Mike? They almost always sell at a discount or premium. Um, when they're initially issued, large institutions and governments will buy them at their face value, but then they're traded um, every day on a market and they'll be uh, either slightly up or slightly down. So you'll have to watch for that. Uh, to The, the uh, interest rate could look attractive, but you'll have to factor in how much you actually paid for that bond uh, to, to realize what you're actually going to get back. So the, 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 the amount that they pay, so the interest rate on the bond or the coupon rate that they call could be different than the yield. Yes. The coupon rate is the stated interest on the bond. Let's say 6% in this interest in this example, but the yield is when you factor in what you've paid for the bond versus the coupon rate, the yield can, it can vary. Okay, so so if someone buys a bond at a premium, so let's say that's a a thousand dollar bond, and they pay a one thousand ten dollars for it or something like that, and and they're going to get a six percent interest rate. So when they at the end of the day, when the bond matures, they get a thousand back, not the ten, because that was the premium right. that they paid. And so their net interest rate is something less than the six. Is that how yes, it works? Yes, the yield will be less than the coupon rate because they had to they had to pay more for the bond initially. Right. So, and by the same terms, if they buy it at a discount, and then and then when it, when it matures, they get the full value. So they pay nine hundred dollars for a thousand dollar bond. Let's say that's a really cheap discount. But at the end of the day, if they hold it to maturity, they get that back. Then. That difference at hundred dollars increases their overall return on that bond. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Alrighty, um, that's complicated. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, and and those are bonds for you. But if you understand it, you can. What we like to do with bonds, Mike, you might want to talk a, lot, a little bit about what a bond ladder is. I know we're going to cover it more later, but just for people's reference. A bond ladder is when you buy a series of bonds with different maturity dates. So you may buy a bond that's going to mature in three years, four years, five years, six years. And you'll do that to protect yourself from interest rate risk. 
And then when the bond becomes uh, mature, the first bond, you'll reinvest it back into the market. And that way you're not putting all your bets on one particular time period. Because what happens is if you have a bond that's a a 4% interest rate and the interest rates are moving up, your bond value is going to be lower because people can buy newer bonds with higher interest rates. So that's called interest rate risk. So you'd want to spread that risk out over various years, and that would be a, a bond ladder. Yeah, when you talk about interest rate risk, so you know we just came out of, of 2022 where we had a tightening run by the Fed where they really increased rates very rapidly. And as a result of that, what happened to bonds value? So you know the typical bond, you know people think, oh, you're pretty safe. You don't lose money in a bond. But if you had a 30-year treasury, let's say, uh, last year, how much did that higher interest rate move impact those 30-year treasuries in terms of that underlying valuation that you sell it for? It was a huge impact. It was the worst year for long-dated bonds since the 70s. So depending on how far out you went, um, a long-dated bond like a 30-year could have been off 25 30%. It was a historically bad year. So a lot of people were surprised in their 401ks. They said, hey, I've got this bond fund. It's a nice, safe place for me to be invested. And they were hit just as hard as the stock market last year. So that's something to keep in mind, that these bonds do have interest rate risk, and it could be significant in years like last year. So if you have bond funds and interest rates rise like they did last year, uh, you could lose 10, 12, 15% or, or more, depending on the maturity date of that particular bond fund. So, you know, uh, if you had a junk bond fund, it lost a lot of money last year, which is, a, by the way, a junk bond would be something that's a riskier bond, plus it has a longer date it's for, because they're trying to get a higher rate of return. Uh, those are the ones that got killed the most last year was those longer dated ones because interest rates now on short dated bonds are higher <laughs> than even some of these risky long dated bonds. Uh, so that's that's where we get that yield curve inversion happening out there in the marketplace. So these these can be pretty scary bond funds. Now, if you owned an individual bond, though, uh, as long as you don't sell it, you pretty much know what your yield is going to be. So even if that bond valuation, so you let's say you paid a thousand for it, and that's the par value, uh, it's paying a six percent interest. So you know your yield is going to be six percent if you hold it to maturity. But if you try to sell it right now in the open market. You could only get, say, $700 for it. You know, well, you're not going to want to sell it. But guess what? If you just hold on to it until the end of the duration, as you had planned when you originally bought it, you're going to get the $1,000 back. You avoid that interest rate risk. That's how you avoid interest rate risk with the bond ladder. Yeah, we like to buy individual bonds for our clients. It's peace of mind for us knowing that we're going to get this principal back unless the company defaults, which fortunately is very rare where a company says we can't pay the money back. If you're buying highly rated corporate bonds, there's a high probability you'll get your money back. And you're not going to be really stressing out about these day-to-day movements that you might experience in a bond fund. So that's a, a powerful uh, a tool within an IRA when you can buy these individual bonds. Right. And, and Mike just mentioned ratings. So bonds are rated. So there's different levels of bonds in terms of the risk profile. Uh, there's the Standard and Poor's and Moody's. They all have ratings that they give bonds. Um, and the higher rated bonds, the AAAs, the A's, the AA's, the, even the double B's, are considered corporate grade. So the risk there is minimal that those companies, it's really about the company. 
the company might default or go out of business and not be able to pay those bonds. Uh, but when you get down into the C's and D's and things like that, now you're talking companies that are considered very iffy about whether or not they'll be able to survive and pay those things off. So in order for them to raise money, they're going to have to pay a much higher interest rate, generally speaking. Does that make sense? That's sort of that rating issue. Yeah, it's more of a risk. So you get more on your return. That's right. That's if it. you get the return. Right. That's right. <laughs> if you get the return. Right. Yeah, so again, bonds are not risk-free. But their risk is mitigated to a large extent uh, because in most cases, these companies uh, do honor their bonds. And and we buy a lot of municipal bonds or government type bonds and treasuries. So then it's backed by those governments. So, they, you know, that's a little less risky when you really think about it uh, and look at those numbers. So so basically, the, the shorter duration and the higher the uh, rating of the company, you would expect a lower interest rate. Uh, if you, by the same turn, have buy do a long dated bond and buy a, a very low rated company, you're going to you should see a much higher interest rate. However, that's not the case right now uh, because we got an inverted yield curve. So what we're sort of seeing is the opposite: the shorter duration bonds uh, tend to be uh, much higher paying. Now, I don't know about uh, and and that's even true of of higher risk bonds. You know, they're going to be if the shorter dated ones are going to have the higher yields on them right now which is unusual, by the way, in the marketplace. So, And bonds are sold in a secondary market, as we mentioned earlier. So there is a market, just like the stock market, so to speak, it's the bond market, uh, where things are traded and sold and bought and sold, which you can do as an individual investor, but it's not easy. Uh, I'll be honest, it's not the easiest thing to do, but highly recommend it, especially in this environment where we can get some nice short-duration bonds uh, with very nice high rates on them right now. We're going to just, we're going to move from bonds now over to stocks and talk a little bit about, uh, about those so that you can get some, some insight into stocks because uh, there are a lot of, I mean, when we talk about all the different types of bonds, there's a lot of them out there, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and they are all about loaning money and paying an interest with lower risk, if you will, for volatility. Now, you can get that if interest rates rise rapidly. You can see volatility in bonds. Uh, but in general, generally speaking, they're safer from a fluctuation standpoint, at least, than, than the stock market. So let's talk about owning an investment, which for many people, uh, their first investment they own is their home. Okay, that's a great example of owning an investment. So everybody can identify, I bought the house, I hope it appreciates over time. Well, uh, if you own a business, it's the same type of thing. You're wanting your business value to appreciate over time. Well, if you own stock in a business, it's the same thing. You are owning part of that business with the hope that uh, the value will appreciate over time. And that, and that's really what we're looking at when we talk about stock. So Mike, um, how do stocks really work a little differently than uh, than bonds, and uh, and how what kind of are we talking about in terms of markets and so forth? There, stocks. If things go poorly for stocks, uh, the corporations have no guarantee you get your principal back. They don't promise anything like they would on a bond. They're going to do their best to pay the bond holders back first, and the stockholders in a really bad uh, situation are are not going to get their principal back. So that's the first thing. 
stocks trade in a, on the exchange every day. They they're based on uh, supply and demand. The price will fluctuate. Um, one thing that's important to think about with stocks, though, is why are you buying them? Uh, we have dividend stocks, which are a lot of attractive to a lot of retirees, where they're paying pretty attractive dividends, where they could be close to what you could get on a bond interest, with the chance of also getting price appreciation down the road. Or are you trying to buy stocks with more growth characteristics, like a lot of these great technology names? They're not going to pay you a dividend, but they're reinvesting back into the business, and they have a, a focus on long-term growth. So you have to figure out what your what your target is here for your stock allocation. Yeah, and I, I mean, and dividend stocks can appreciate, but they don't tend. That's not their goal necessarily as a company. They really want to provide and make sure they cover their dividend for their investors. But, um, you know, there is always the possibility that they do appreciate very nicely. In fact, many of the uh, dividend stocks out there right now are considered value stocks uh, because they're companies that make stuff. You know, they have a set sort of real clear P&L statement. You sort of know where they're going. They can cover their dividend. They're going to make money no matter what in terms of the market. We're talking food companies, pharmaceuticals. In some cases, we're talking energy companies. So, you know, across the board, uh, uh, utilities, all of these companies pay nice dividends. And they're sort of considered what we, as we talk about them, as value stocks because they're sort of steady eddies, if you will. But they can suddenly appreciate it. Right now in the market, uh, they're more attractively priced than the growth stocks. Because the growth stocks have appreciated so much, these value stocks look more attractive. And right now, we're not real. The market's not. I don't know. What's the how do I how to say this tactfully? Uh, the market is fairly priced right now. So, and right now, growth stocks are a little overpriced, if you will. Whereas value stocks, relative to the market, are a little more fairly priced. Maybe even you might even have a. Uh, the ability to buy one that's going to give you a little bit better return uh, than a growth stock would right now. Not necessarily, but it could in this environment because there's more upside there. At one key point, I think uh, the difference with stocks and bonds is there's going to be a little more risk in the short term with stocks, but they typically offer the opportunity for more long-term growth than bonds, and they offer a chance to keep up or beat inflation over the long term, whereas bonds are probably not going to do that for you. Right. And one thing that Mike mentioned earlier too about the stock, because it is riskier. Because when if a company does get into trouble and go out of business, uh, you know they're going to have some infrastructure and things that they could sell off. Well, you know they, there's a sort of a uh, pecking order, if you will, of who gets money, and the one at the bottom of the pecking order, if there's any money left, are the stockholders. Okay, so they just they're they're the SOL ones. You know the bondholders are further up. Preferred stockholders are further up. Um, you know, the Owen, oh, the tax man, and the employees are further up. They have to do all those things first before anything goes out to the to the stockholders of whatever they've got left uh, if they have to liquidate and sell off. So that's another reason that stocks are considered a little riskier. That's a good point. And you'll want to be careful when you're selecting your stocks. If you want to do this yourself, and you're concerned about uh, a bad situation like that, you typically want to focus more on the larger names, the what they call large cap companies of a lot of household names, less likely of, of going out of business than one of these smaller companies that doesn't make it. And 
you know, <clears throat> stocks, uh, there's no insurance, you know, no protection with the stocks. Um, and they are bought and traded on the, on the U.S. stock exchanges. So uh, the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, you know, there's several of these exchanges that are very well known. Uh, and those are really open markets. And you're, it's all about supply and demand. Uh, so stocks can really fluctuate quite a bit in that open marketplace. Uh, and it's it's not already all when people say it's real efficient. Well, it's not always that efficient. Uh, things can move the market unexpectedly. Uh, recently, there was a video that came out that with an AI showing fire next near the White House in D.C. Everybody thought it was real and the stock market went down. Well, it wasn't real. Stock market it shouldn't have gone down. But that just shows you how sensitive the market can be okay. and how sometimes things that are you know, really not a big deal do impact uh, the market. So it's not always that efficient, uh, what I was trying to point out. People well, get very scared about the thought of potentially losing money. <laughs> oh, yeah. For and sure. I don't blame them. I mean, uh, during the, the uh, crisis in 07, 08, the, the stock market went down. The S&P went down 53% top to bottom. 53%. I mean, imagine losing half of your investment if you were all in the S&P, at least on paper. Now, by 2013, 2014, you've got to got a, most of it all back. But again, that's why I talk about, you know, there's, if you're willing, you got to be able to stick with it for five years uh, at a minimum and have that mindset about the piece of your portfolio you put into the stock market or the growth side of your portfolio. And that's kind of like the different buckets theory. Like you've got this bucket for your income. You've got this bucket for investments and growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You need to understand how much you need to have in each bucket for your situation. And everybody's situation is different. Okay. You know, we can have categories for different folks, but, but really it, we, there you're, everybody is sort of unique. So you have to really get a handle on what that individual can handle in terms of, their risk tolerance, as well as their risk capacity. Because it's a sort of we have to dial that number in because we don't want to uh, underperform the markets and their expectations so much that they're disappointed. But by the same token, we don't want to be overly invested. So if the market comes down, they freak out. You know, we don't want that to happen. So we have to find that balance. And the client has to be real understanding of, of that in terms of their investments in the stock market because they are going to go up and down. Let's face it. Yeah, I like yeah, to think of yourself, um, Wendy, as a long-term owner in these businesses. Uh, they could have a bad quarter report for their earnings. Um, the market generally can move down. The stocks can go down. But if you have a belief long-term in the in the health of this business, um, you should be willing it, to possibly buy more if the if the stock price goes lower. You have that much conviction in the name. I like it. And, you know, just like bonds, there are a lot of different stock categories. And I do want to differentiate between preferred stocks and um, common stock real quickly so people understand. Uh, in our world, so the, the preferred stocks are also issued by companies. They're not common stocks. You don't have voting rights with preferred stocks, uh, but they don't tend to move very much like the market. They, they are actually very much like a long-dated bond. And that's how they behave in terms of their pricing. So last year, they did drop considerably as interest rates rose because these per, these preferred stocks, it's all about the interest rate that you earn on those um, on the underlying investments, uh, long dated uh, by these companies. And 
they're very attractive in terms of their yield. Their yield does tend to be quite high, uh, but they can go down if interest rates go up. So you have to be aware of that. But in the pecking order, they're just above common stocks. So you might get your money back. A little bit better chance of getting your money back with a preferred stock than a than a common stock. Um, uh, and most of the time, when we talk preferred stocks, the vast majority of, of companies that issue preferred stocks, for some reason, there's there are all kinds of companies that issue preferred stock. But the primary category are banks, financial institutions. They tend to be the ones that go to the preferred stock right for a variety of reasons. A lot of it has to do with uh, tax scenarios and situations. And the other nice thing about preferred stocks is that there are some tax advantages to investing in preferred stocks, uh, as opposed to uh, like a corporate bond, for instance. Yeah. And most investors are going to own these common stocks versus the preferred stocks, but it's, it is important to understand the difference. And you can buy preferred stocks directly one-on-one, or you can buy them in ETFs or funds, which we haven't gotten into a whole lot. Um, Mike, you want to talk a little bit about company size when we, you know, cause that, and I, and I, I want to go off on penny stocks in a minute so that people understand what can happen in that environment. I, I mentioned before these larger companies and that's, uh, most stocks are, uh, in, individual investors are more familiar with these large companies that have a, uh, a market cap of $10 billion or, or more. So when I say market cap, I'm looking at the price of the stock times the amount of uh, shares that are issued. That's how you come up with the market cap. So these large cap stocks are 10 billion or greater. A lot of uh, household names that you're familiar with, uh, they're more likely to pay dividends um, than smaller companies, but they all, may also offer some growth potential as well. And then we have the, uh, the mid-sized companies, which will be between a market cap of 5 billion to 10 billion. Uh, a lot of these companies eventually do become large uh, household names as well. And then you've got the smaller cap names that are worth uh, $2 billion or less. Uh, they might be less stable during a, a recession. Um, if things go really well, though, they have a chance for a lot of price appreciation. But more of them, there will be more that won't make it than large cap companies. So it's important to know the size of the company and get that mix right. Uh, and, and that has a lot to do with your, your, uh, your risk tolerance. Yeah, so the large cap, if you think about the S&P 500, that's an index that's out there. Those are all large cap companies in that index. Uh, there's the uh, Russell 3000 that tends to have include all the small cap stocks. So if you're thinking about indexes, and you're sort of following these things. Uh, those are some of the differences. And they do track companies by size and their indexes out there. I do want to mention super small caps, which we call penny stocks, which are stocks whose value per share is less than $5 a share. Uh, there's a lot of bad things that can happen out there with penny stocks. Uh, so a lot of people can do really well. You know, if you're fortunate enough to own a penny stock and it really takes off, let's say a lot of, a lot of penny stocks fall into the uh, biochemical bi biotech area. Um, they're really small companies just getting up and running, but they could come up with a drug that, or, or some breakthrough that could be massive and their stock could shoot up in value and they get bought up usually by a larger pharmaceutical then. So they, there's big upside. But by the same token, those are the same companies that will go out and can go out of business. The problem in that, in that category, though, is that a lot of folks will take advantage of this and try to pump up a stock for their own benefit by getting people to buy it, thinking it's going to go up, 
And then they once they once they get enough people to buy it and they blow the stock up and say it's it's you know it's trading at thirty cents, and you get a whole bunch of people to buy it and it goes up to forty cents. Well, if you bought a whole bunch of it at thirty cents and waited for it to get to forty and then you sold it, and you knew that was going to happen, you knew that it was going to go up because you paid the money to push the stock, pump the stock value up. It's illegal, by the way, but it does still happen. But a lot of people fall for it because they think, oh, yeah, I read this article. It says all this good thing about this wonderful stock is going to take off. And, hey, that's all just hype that's designed is to pump the value of the stock up. Um, somebody's playing a game with you, so watch out. I just tell people all the time, be extremely careful and, and, and really don't buy them. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. It's just <laughs> – you're, you're going to get, I mean, you may hit a home run, but the odds are against you. Let's just put it that, that way. It's like buying a lottery ticket when it's over a billion dollars. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly okay. right. So if I think that I want to have a professional pick and monitor the investments for me, what does that mean at this point? So if you want a professional pick and monitor, that's what we do on the investment side. So as advisors, we try to we strive to answer financial questions. As I mentioned before, advisors are here to help you deal with complex financial questions. That's what we help people with. Answer those questions and figure it out. One of the ways we can do that is if you want to hire us to manage the money, we can do that. But there's all kinds of other things that we do besides that. You know, tax revenue, what how what to invest in, the timing, the allocation strategies, all of that. Those are things that we work with clients to achieve. And then we pick the investment. So that's really what we're talking about now. It's just, it's just one piece of the many pieces that we do, but it's an important one. I'm not, and again, people can do this on their own, but as you're probably realizing, it's fairly complicated. So it does make sense to hire a professional to help you through this process, to navigate this process, to figure out what your allocation should be, uh, work with you to help select the investments, uh, so that you're not going to get yourself in trouble because let's face it, bad financial decisions can really mess your life up. Yeah. And it's not really, you know, don't be cheap with your money. <laughs> put exactly put right. the money into your money. That's exactly right. So uh one want to mention again, I don't know if I didn't I did it the last one, but again, you can call 804-622-1722 to talk to me, but you can go to our website click the initial consultation button and you will get a 20 minute ask anything session. You can schedule where you can just come in, give me a call, ask anything. Uh, we'll have 20 minutes to talk through it and hopefully get your, whatever your most current pressing financial question answered. And if we can help in other ways, we could talk about a next step from there. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate you coming on today. And thank you for listening. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Unleash Your Retirement podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rvawealthmanagement.com or give us a call at 804-497-2100. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RVA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal tax or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of RVA Wealth Management. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RVA Wealth Management or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, RVA Wealth Management and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.